Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. We are in the middle of a series of lessons looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ. And we're in Luke chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to be opening with me. Grab your phone, uh, open it to Luke chapter 9 as we uh, dive into the next section of the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to start by simply asking this question, a question that I probably already know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and that is, how do you handle rejection? (laughs) <laughs> My guess is, if you're like me, that, that's, that's, not, that's not something we do very well, is it? None of us really like rejection. I, I don't know of a soul uh, that, that wakes up one day and says, you know what? I really hope today is the day that rejection comes my way, right? I, I just, that's just not who we are. We are a people that uh, avoid rejection at all costs, right? But here's the problem with avoiding rejection at all costs. Sometimes that cost is awfully high. Because what happens is, in order to avoid rejection, we keep silent when we should speak out. Or we end up acting in a certain way because to not do so, we think, would be met with rejection. And sometimes, we feel we have to put others down in order to elevate ourselves or in order to avoid rejection altogether. And so we reject others because we think that by rejecting them, we can avoid our own rejection. It's crazy, this little weave, this tangled web that we weave when it comes to this thing called rejection. In Luke 9, the disciples have gone ahead of Jesus into the city of Samaria to make some preparations for him, and it doesn't go well. Uh, This trip into Samaria did not lead to the outpouring of faith like we saw earlier with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. This time, the result was rejection. How are they going to handle rejection? Well, what we'll read is, not very well. They have a few choice words, and they have a desired outcome for those who have rejected them. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But I want to start in Luke chapter 9, verse 49 and 50, before we get to that rejection. Let's start a little bit earlier in verse 49. Here's what the text says. John answered, Master... We saw someone casting demons out in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. It's interesting, isn't it? The disciples reject this man. They tell him to stop doing good in Jesus' name. Why? Because he wasn't one of them. He wasn't a part of their particular group. And there is so much wrong with what they just said to Jesus. It's hard to know where to begin. But let's just, let's just notice a couple things here. Notice what happened earlier in verse 46. Right? An argument arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. It's this argument that takes place here in Luke chapter 9 uh, about them elevating themselves, right? They are arguing with each other. They believe that Jesus is going to be president and they're all going to be part of the cabinet. But what they're really jockeying for is who's going to be vice president, who's going to be secretary of state, who's going to be in these positions of power within the cabinet, 
Not only that, but it seems that they are in competition with each other. I think it's safe to say that they believe that there are some of them who are walking with Jesus that deserve greater honor than others. Can you imagine their conversation? I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe one of them steps up. Maybe it's Andrew. You know, I've been with Jesus longer than any of you, so I'm the one that's going to be right next to him when he comes into his kingdom. But then Judas speaks up, whoa, Andrew, you may have been following longer, but I've been the one taking care of the finances. I'm the chief financial officer, and, and we're only able to do what we do because of my handling of the money. Judas, come on, you're crazy. Dealing with money is easy. I have to make sure that only the right people get to Jesus. He trusts me to do that. Well, you're not doing a very good job. They let Matthew in. I mean, can you, can you imagine the conversations? Matthew, wait a minute. I left everything to follow Jesus. I gave up my status and my, and my wealth. I don't know. But it's a crazy, crazy thing. And Jesus has to shut it down. He's not going to have that kind of talk among his people and he tells them that they need to humble themselves. And if they will humble themselves, that they would become truly great. He says, or in some accounts, he places a little child in front of them and says, This, this, this is how you need to be in order to be great in my kingdom. My upside down kingdom. And it is this teaching of what real greatness looks like that triggers this memory of the person who they had rejected in verses 49 and 50. I don't know how you read this, but it sounds to me like they are seeking Jesus' approval. We saw this guy. He wasn't a part of our group. We tried to stop him. Stop him. Was that right, Jesus? <laughs> and Jesus says, no. No, that wasn't right. No, that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And you guys, again, are completely missing the point. So let me just share with you what you already know but need to be reminded of again. Here it is. Following Jesus Christ is not a competition. Following Jesus is not a competition. I don't know when it became a competition or when we started down that path, but, but, but that's a dead-end road that doesn't need anybody walking on it. We are not in competition with each other, and we certainly are not in competition with other churches. That is warped thinking, and Jesus makes that clear here in these verses. Now, having said that we're not in competition with each other, I want to make it crystal clear that we are in a war with an enemy. We are at war with the enemy. We are, if you will, for lack of a better word, competing for souls. And there is so much at stake. He wants to destroy as many as he can. And our job is to point as many as we can to Jesus. And so it is important for us to stop fighting each other and instead move against our common enemy together in the name of Jesus Christ and to rescue these lost souls. This is what the guy in verses 49 and 50 is doing. He, in the name of Jesus, is making a difference in the lives of the people around him. And rather than rejoice, they, they try to stop him. Jesus says, don't stop him. And it leads to this truth. And this is an important truth. You have partners in the word of God that you don't even know about. You're not in this thing alone. Not only are you surrounded by brothers and sisters who you know that walk with you and talk with you and encourage you and want to bless you and be a blessing to you. 
You have partners in the word of God that you don't even know about. Jesus reminds them that if they're not against you, they're for you. And you may not know their names. You may not know whether they, where they go to church or even if they go to church. But there are people all around you who are trying to help other people get to Jesus. Now listen to me. Some people are doing it on purpose. They are working with you. Other people, you know what? Other people are simply instruments in the hands of God. Like Cyrus, who was an open rebellion to God in so many ways, yet God used him to bring about the furtherance of his plan. God still uses people that way. Sometimes he's putting people in the paths of other people who are stepping stones to them to faith. So do you understand what Jesus is saying to us? Ministry is not limited to you, your tribe, or your select group. Ministry is open and available to everyone. Everyone who will embrace Jesus Christ, who will trust and obey Jesus, is, 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 is included in the ministry of Christ. It's so important for us to understand that. Now let's look at this rejection that happens in Samaria. In Luke chapter 9 verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. Did you notice why Jesus was rejected in Samaria? Because they weren't a part of the group. They weren't a part of the group. The text says they rejected Jesus because they were on their way to Jerusalem. And in the eyes of the Samaritans, anyone going to Jerusalem must be rejected. Remember that Jews and Samaritans hated each other typically. And we see that on display here again. It's funny that the apostles are getting a taste of the very same medicine that they dished out to that guy in verses 49 and 50 just a little bit ago. Isn't that interesting? They're getting a taste of their own medicine. So how will they respond? What will they do? (laughs) Well, they take this rejection to a whole nother level, right? Did you see what James and John said? You want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? (laughs) You want us to burn them up? And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me right now? These guys are willing to destroy and kill an entire village of people. And Jesus, Jesus rebukes them because they have missed the point again. Because their ministry and our ministry, listen to me. Their ministry and our ministry is not a time of judgment. It's a time of invitation. Are you following me? It's a time of invitation. This is what it's all about. And if someone rejects that invitation, that leaves them accountable to God, not to you. If someone rejects the invitation, they are accountable to God and not to you. Our message, our message has to be one of hope. Our message has to be one of forgiveness. 
So I hope, I hope back to our original question that you're not dealing with rejection the way these guys are. I hope that you're not proverbially calling your own fire down from heaven on people when things don't go the way that you think that they should. And what I've found is there are really three ways that people respond to rejection. Here's number one. The first way that people respond when rejection happens is that people blow up. You've met people like this, right? James and John would, would embody this. Something happens in their life that, that, that they don't like. They're rejected and out comes the pride. We lash out. We bite back. Again, we call down our own proverbial fire from heaven on those people. We talk bad about them. We get bitter. Anger swells up in us. And I just want you to know that is not the way of Jesus Christ. And if your tendency when you are rejected is to blow up, it's time to rethink that. And it's time probably to get on your knees and start praying for God to change your heart. And I just want to say this. Since we're here, while we're on the topic, can I encourage you this morning to stop sitting at the table where people are speaking of evil of other people? Can I encourage you this morning to stop that? Stop sitting at the table where other people are speaking evil of others. Where they reject others. Because here's the truth. The second you get up from that table, you're now the one that's being talked about. So stop sitting at that stinking table. And it is a stinking table. Don't spend any more time wasting your time among people who want to do nothing more than reject others to make themselves feel better or to talk bad about others to make themselves better. That is not the way of Christ. First way people respond to rejection is they blow up. You know another way? They give up. This is the second way. What was I thinking? I will, I will never try that again. I'm not ever putting myself out like that. Some people, when they're rejected, they'll walk away. They're done. They refuse to put themselves in a position where they can feel the pain of rejection ever again. You want to know why many believers refuse to share their faith in Jesus with people around them? It's a fear of rejection. It's a fear of rejection. Or they tried it once, it didn't go well, and they've said, I will never do that again. That also is not the way of Christ. To blow up, to give up, that, that is not the way of Jesus no, the way of Jesus is the third option where people don't blow up and people don't give up, but people step up. They step up. While rejection hurts, and it always hurts, people aren't quitting. They're not lashing out. Instead, they're getting back up. They're getting back on the horse, so to speak, and they're getting back to it. They're willing to learn from their rejection. They're maybe willing to come at it from a different angle, evaluate what works and what doesn't, but regardless, they're staying in the fight. And nothing is going to turn them back from going after the things that Jesus would have them go after. How do you respond to Jerusalem? How do you respond to rejection? Do you give up? Do you blow up? Or do you step up? That, that is the way of Christ. You see, Jesus needs his disciples to understand that following him... It's not always going to be easy, and it's certainly not always going to be fun. In fact, there are going to be times when it's going to be downright difficult. Rejections are coming to your life if you're a follower of Jesus. They are. They're coming. And Jesus needs to know that we're going to be able to respond properly. He needs to know that, that if they blow up. If people blow up when they're rejected, <laughs> that's a problem. And he knows, especially with his disciples, that if they give up, that the kingdom of heaven has no chance to survive. All of us, all of this that we just read about, takes place right before 
one of the most important Jewish festivals for the Jews. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This feast, go over to John 7 with me. Uh, This feast takes place in late September, and some very important events surround uh, this Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Now, the biggest event that happens right before this festival happens is the Day of Atonement. This is the day when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for himself and for the priests and for the people of God. It was the Day of Atonement, which was one of the most uh, amazing days in all of Jewish history, right? And it was celebrated just a few days before this feast. And this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, was a seven-day party. (laughs) It was a seven-day celebration. It was a time of remembering what they had been through in the wilderness after they escaped from Egypt. If you had the opportunity to watch our little five-minute Friday video, then you know that what happened is all over Jerusalem, they actually built these little, these little tents, these, these little tabernacles, if you will, and they lived in those tents for about a week to remember their, their time in Egypt and their journey to the promised land. Not only that, but this, this celebration was also a celebration of the harvest. It would be like our Thanksgiving in some ways. There was a time that the harvest was over and now they could relax and enjoy the fruit of their labor and they could praise and thank God for his provision. And it was also a time when the Jews looked forward to when God would tabernacle with them again, which is really what John chapter 1 is all about. Verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's trying to get them to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of these feasts, but that's another lesson for another time. In John chapter 7, verses 2 through 9, I want you to read of yet another rejection that happens at this feast. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of the booth was at hand, and so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Listen to verse 5. For not even his brothers believed him. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Jesus said to him, My time's not yet come, but your time's always here world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Even his brothers didn't believe him. Jesus is rejected by his own family. Rejection hurts, but it's a whole nother level when that rejection happens to those, by those who are closest to you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what's interesting to me about this situation is that he says, I'm not going, but then Jesus changes his mind. Verse 10 says, after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus said, I'm going to go too, though secretly staying out of public view. Now, Jesus, again, changes his mind and goes, and at least for the first half of the festival, he's going to stay out of public view. And we're going to look all at this section of Scripture, what happens in the second half of this festival next week. But I want to read a few more verses before we finish today. Look at verse 11. 
The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. And while some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Jesus is rejected again and again. And again, he's rejected by his brothers. He's rejected uh, by the religious leaders. And he's rejected, I don't know if you caught this, he's rejected by those who refused to say anything about him. He's rejected by those who said nothing, who stayed silent. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Rejection. So in one of the great ironies of ironies, afraid of being rejected, they reject Jesus by saying nothing. You ever rejected Jesus by saying nothing? By doing nothing? When you know that you should have done something? Yeah, me too. I don't like this lesson. <laughs> I really don't. I like last week's lesson a whole lot better. Faith, nothing's impossible with God. Victory, healing, rejoicing. This week, rejection, 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 rejection. It's a tough lesson to preach. But you need to know that in a few short days, Jesus has gone from the mountaintop to the valley, figuratively and literally. Think back to his time being transfigured on the mountain, right? Enveloped by the Father's love. And yet he comes down off of the mountain and he's surrounded by those who reject him. But Jesus is going to use his time on the mountain with the Father to get through the valley. He's going to use his experience of the Father's love to sustain him and motivate him for the rejection that he's going to receive. Because by the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg of the rejection that Jesus is going to encounter. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. But Jesus, in the middle of these rejections, he doesn't blow up. He doesn't give up. No, he steps up. And you want to know why? Because he knows his standing with the Father. He steps up because he knows who he is. He knows who he belongs to. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you know? Do you know you're standing with the Father? Do you know that even when you are rejected by the world, by those closest to you, he's not against you? Do you know that even in your failure, he doesn't quit on you? That he's not walking away from you, that instead he's drawing near to you. And I just want to say this, when you can't trust what you see, when you can't trust what's going on around you, rejection upon rejection upon rejection, when you can't trust what you see, stand on what you know. And what you know is that you are the known and beloved child of Almighty God. Because here's the thing. Once you have experienced God for yourself, not what somebody else says about him, not what mom and dad think about him, once you've experienced God for yourself, once you've come to know his amazing love and grace for you, no one will ever be able to change your mind about him. Ever. Ever. You see, because of Jesus, all the things that separate us from the Father have now been removed. 
Because of Jesus, anyone who trusts and follows him are now called the children of God. It's not that we will be one day. No, we are the children of God right now because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, rejection doesn't get to have the last word in your life or in mine. And I want to say this too. This didn't originate with me, but it's been in my mind all week. I want to say this. God is giving you permission to break the pattern in your life. A pattern of rejection. A pattern of failure. He's giving you permission to break the pattern. Because you can grow past what you grew up around in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be who you were. You can be who God desires you to be. You have permission in the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority of Almighty God to break the patterns in your life. You can grow up. You can grow past what you grew up around. So, so if your life has been nothing but people looking down on you and beating you down and breaking you down, you can grow past that in Jesus Christ. If you're in a season like Jesus of rejection upon rejection upon rejection, you can grow past that in Jesus Christ. You don't have to blow up and you certainly don't have to give up. You can step up. And you can be all that God has desired you to be. You can follow the example of Jesus And you can get to a new place in your walk of faith. So how about it? Will you break the pattern? Will you grow past what you've been wallowing around in? Oh, I hope that you will. Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson.